Hello, and thank you for joining us this morning. If you please sing with us, our first song is And Can It Be. Please join us in our second song, Oh Praise the Name. I know this song was always really special to me because I remember that we sang it multiple times my first year of fly, really the first time I think I accepted Jesus into my life. Mm -hmm. 
Dear members and friends of Elam Lutheran Church, grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Herb Hoff here once again, um, outside on the outskirts of Olympia, sharing with you, hopefully, last time by, uh, by way of long-distance video recording of a message, and hopefully next week, face-to-face, -face, uh, if not hand-to-hand, -hand, at least close enough to see and uh, share personally what's going on by God's grace. Today we're going to be looking at Paul's excursion into a new territory for him. This time it is his movement into the city of Athens, uh, a city that is the, uh, the birthplace, as it was said, of democracy. Uh, it was a city that was filled with beauty and wonder and awe as you looked at the physical surrounds, but not necessarily awesome when it comes to what's taking place in the spiritual realm. We're in Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 16. We'll be going through this a bit at a time. I'm going to invite you to take your Bible, open up, and follow along as we go, uh, starting Luke 17, starting at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And Lord, as we now look at your word, we pray that your spirit would have sway on this uh, Pentecost Sunday, that your word would have sway in our life, even as it did to the 3,000 who, who believed the promises that you had made in Jesus. So guide us now this day to your glory and to our good. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Athens was a city that was filled with examples of artistic beauty. The, the structures that had been built to the, to the Greek gods and the statues that represented those gods were awesome. Their, their skill and their beautiful uh, presence was, was almost beyond description. And as was his norm, Paul begins his ministry in Athens by, by going to the synagogue. And there he begins to share with the, with the Jews who were there and, and, and those devout people who have come and are drawn close to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as Paul is beginning to share with them, the heaviness in his own spirit is revealed. And, and that heaviness comes because of what is surrounding and filling this city. The, the statues of the gods that they worshipped, the, the, the temples where those worship was, was taking place, and, and it says that he was, he was troubled deeply, uh, stirred with, with sharp indignation because of the idolatry that he saw and was represented by the buildings, and the artwork that was there. Yeah. Luke writes that uh, here in Acts that, that his spirit was provoked within him. And again, this is Paul's spirit, not talking about the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit has been impacting Paul's own human spirit, but his human spirit is deeply troubled because of all the false gods. And, and it's not just this concept of the gods, but all the things that associated with the style of worship that took place when people were devoted to these 
pagan gods that led people far away from what God's desire was for them. Peter also uh, shares about the concerns that he sees, uh, looking back biblically history, and how, how righteous people living in the midst of, of strugglesome cultures don't easily go along. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul, uh, Peter writes that God rescued Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Hear that again. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. You know, I think it pretty well describes who we are in our American culture, especially in the days of this past week, as we see and we hear about the lawless deeds that are taking place in the heart of our country and, and spreading out to all sorts of, of metropolis areas throughout our country. Lawless deeds that we see and hear. The lawless deeds of, of a Minneapolis police officer who causes the death of a man who cries out for breath. The lawless deeds of, of citizens who loot and burn and, and destroy in anger property that is owned by others. Now, I've lived in Minneapolis. My wife grew up there and her family still lives there. And like Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, like, like Paul in Athens, our hearts in the, in the Hoff household, and I would bet some of your hearts in your household have been deeply troubled as, as we've heard and as we've seen the lawless loss of life and destruction of other people's property. But you know, there's more that goes on, and not only in Athens, but also in Minneapolis and around our country, there's more that goes on than meets the eye. It's not just a, a human lust for revenge or, or a license to somehow get stuff that I don't have to pay for. No, no, it goes much, much deeper than that. The roots of these problems go deep into a soil, a toxic soil. It's filled because of the of our very sinful nature that's gone into rebellion against God. And it's, it's not that we can just point our finger at those people who are doing that because because it's a part of who we are, too. The very things that we weren't, were wishing weren't a part of us, they are a part of us. It's pretty easy for us to get up on our high and holy horse and make condemnations and, and not realize that part of the struggle is deep within ourselves. More than meets the eye? Yes, there is more than meets the eye, because, because what was taking place there in Athens, this, these wonderful temples and these beautiful artworks of these gods that they worshipped, the reality is, and Paul talks about it in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 20, what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. He pulls the curtain back for people to see that, that the reality of these false religions aren't just a confusion and a mistake. 
but really it is a, a style of worship and sacrifice to demons and to the one who wants to capture and destroy our lives, our souls. There is a mistaken worldview that comes into play real soon. After he, he comes and he spends time not only in the synagogue, but in the marketplace, he, he interacts with, with two different philosophical schools. There are the Epicureans and there are the Stoic. They are the philosophers. This is verses 18 through 21 of chapter 17. Some of the Epicurean and, and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching that you are presenting? For you bring some strange thing to our ears and we wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Got to hear something new. Got itchy ears. I hadn't heard that before. Maybe if I get that bit of information, I'm going to have a, a head start and learn something else and be ahead of the curve on, on what's going on spiritually. These philosophers, the Epicureans, and the, and the Stoic philosophers, they are two schools of philosophy that actually have their roots in the very same soil. And it's the soil of dualism. And this sense of dualism is that, that if it is physical, it is evil. And, and if it is spiritual, it is good. It doesn't matter what the physical is, if it's physical, it's bad. And it doesn't matter what the spiritual is, as long as it's spiritual, it's good. And, and this goes contrary to, to the way God has designed things. You know, back in Genesis, when God created the entire universe, and he looked at the fullness, including the man and the woman in the garden, wearing nothing but their smiles, and he says, that is very good. God didn't begrudgingly give Adam and Eve bodies and doesn't begrudgingly give us bodies. No, it is the design that he has for us. And as for uh, the possibility of the physical body being able to do things that are contrary to his will, well, we've proved that in our lifetime and again, but God hasn't discounted that. God knows that. That's why he sent Jesus to protect us, to save us, to deliver us. As for the spiritual, you know, there are spiritual things that are bad. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's good. There's a lot of people in our day who are saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I am spiritual. Well, I'm sorry. You know, apart from trusting in the Lord Jesus as life and salvation for us, apart from having our only hope in him, any spirituality doesn't lead to life, it leads to death. Here's, here's the way the Epicurean philosophy thought. There's good, spiritual, bad, physical. One of the days is gonna come along when there is the physical gone, we're gonna die. And they were looking forward to that because they knew that all the, all the garbage that the body had been a part of, it's going to pass away. It will be no more. I will be nothing but a spirit. A woo -woo -woo. 
a spirit off in the who knows where, and because it's spirit, it's good. And so they live their life under the basic thought of eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we're going to die. Enjoy it all right now, because you only have now to enjoy it, go for all the gusto, and then when spiritual becomes the only thing, you don't have anything to worry about. It's all going to pass away. That was their thought. Now, the, the Stoics, they, they had the same thought of dualism, spirit good, physical evil, but they went at it a different route. They decided that they were going to abstain from as much of life as they possibly could. They would fast all the time. They wouldn't do anything enjoyable. They would walk around sad, deprived of everything because they were really making themselves holy. They were putting into practice what they thought the future was going to be. No physical problems, no physical sin, just my beautiful spiritual existence floating around who knows where. Now that's not what God's design is, but that was what they had, their mistaken worldview. Again, when God created humans, when God created the world, after each day it was, that's good, that's good, that physical thing he created, it's good. And the man and the woman, when it was all done, oh, tov me, oh, that is good in the exceeding. That wasn't the way the Stoics, that was not the way the Epicureans saw it. These were all things that just had to be borne up with for the current time. Now, Paul's message comes, and he shares something that, that they don't feel comfortable with. Because, because when Paul talks about what's going to happen, that God has created all of this, and, and in the midst of it, when you die... There is not going to be a reincarnation, but there is going to be a resurrection. That you are going to exist in a physical body. And, and it's not only those who are believers and trusters in Jesus, seeking after the God of all goodness, but even those who have rejected him. They are going to be having a physical body in enduring existence. Now, the, the, the Stoics and the Epicureans, that was just, ugh, what a horrible thing. But that's not what God's design was. You see, God's design, God's worldview is what he wants to pull us around. And, and if we reject what God has designed, what God says is good, we're going to be in a, in, a, in a world of hurt. There was a physical body included in God's design from the very beginning of creation. As for resurrection, it was Jesus, the firstborn of many fruits, of many who are going to be resurrected, who are going to be raised, a physical body from this point on. Now, now Paul's message impacted his listeners. And, and for some of them, there were a couple that came and drew near and believed and trusted in Jesus. But for many others, they were just, ah, what does this babbler have to say? His, his lips are moving. There's sound that's coming out of his mouth. But it's, it's sort of like one of those Peanuts cartoons whenever the adults speak. It, he's babbling nonsense. Well, it wasn't nonsense. Because what those people who think they are wise in the worldly sense are truly fools. 
And God, in his dumbest foolish day, if you can imagine God being dumb or foolish, it's wiser than anything that they have. Thank God for Pentecost. Because, because of Pentecost, his spirit comes and dwells with us, taking his word and giving us life and hope and a future because we can believe what God has done. And so Paul looks around at, at this place where he is, and he's trying to figure, what is the hook that I can use that can draw them in so that they might be willing to listen to me? And not just to me. Listen to what God's design, what God's plan, what God's remedy is for our problem. We continue with verse 17, chapter 17, verse 22. And so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar which is inscribed to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all humankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of times and boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the, the art or imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance by all, by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius and the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So let's look at Paul's sermon real quick, starting at verse 24. God is the creator of the physical universe. Apart from what the Stoics and the Epicureans thought, when God created and declared it is good, that was God's plan. It wasn't a mistake. Secondly, God is the one who is the sustainer of life. That's from verse 25. Uh, he's created all life to begin with, all physical life, and he sustains it. He keeps us going, whether we're good or whether we're bad. He provides for our needs. Verses 26 and 27, God is the ruler of all nations. Now, in our American culture, oftentimes we think a nation means a country with borders, language. Uh, 
But primarily, the, the, the Greek word is ethnos, translated nations. He, he has made all ethnicities. In our country of the United States, we have more ethnic groups than we can count. Uh, the school district where I grew up in, uh, a study was done some years ago. There were 27 different languages that were spoke in that school district. Uh, how are we going to reach all those ethnicities? Uh, God has set a time, and, and there's a limit on it. Some, they're going to come, and they're going to go. Um, Egypt was replaced by Babylon. Babylon was replaced by Alexander's Greece. And by this time, Greece had been supplanted, had been replaced by, by Rome. And you know what? A couple things have happened since way back then. Uh, in these days, we live by God's grace. And God's got plans. And, and if our hope, if our, if our country isn't the kingdom of God, we're going to be missing out. We're going to be losing from what God has planned. We also find in verses 28 and 9 that God is the father of all mankind. He has given life to us. He has fathered those who know him and those that don't know him. God is gracious that way. He And, and God has overlooked the past. Uh, verses 30 and 31. He's going to judge the world. And and the things of the past are things of the past, but now is time to turn to the things of the future. He's going to judge in righteousness, and he's going to do that by the one he has raised from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is proof of his power and his plan and his purpose. And as, as Paul comes to, to speak to them, notice the, the sweetness and gentleness that he begins. You know, I saw all these places of worship and temples, but I want to tell you that one that said to the unknown God, well, here is that unknown God who has revealed himself in the life and saving actions of Jesus, his son, Messiah of the Jews. Uh, Paul uses tact. He is careful. It's in many ways sort of like Jesus. Remember when, when he came in John chapter 4 to that uh, Samaritan woman by the well? And in the midst of their conversation, he says, yeah, you know, why don't you come bring your husband? Oh, I don't have a husband. How does Jesus respond? He says, you're right what you said. You don't have a husband. Actually, you've had five and the one you've got now isn't yours. But you've spoken well. There was a, there was a gentleness that gave room for the gospel to be planted in a needy heart and soul. How can we speak in such a way, not coming down hard and angry, turn or burn, but how can we come with a way that is open and welcome and, and meet the people that need to hear in such a way that we don't beat them away? from the promise of God who loves them so much that he sent Jesus. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while they are yet sinners, Christ died for them. The godly, the righteous, for the unrighteous and ungodly. Leave space for God's spirit to work his favor and mercy. And I would pray, Lord Jesus, even this day, as, as you brought the truth to a culture that was rejecting you, 
I pray that you would bring that same truth uh, into the cultures where we interact day by day. Sometimes it's in our neighbors or in our schools or where we work. Sometimes, Lord, it may be even in our own homes. I pray that you would use these days to your glory, that, that your truth would reach in such a powerful way that people would believe your promise and trust in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now let's, let's close this time today with prayer. Our world needs much prayer. Um, our country needs much prayer. Heavenly Father, we lift before you, uh, especially the family of Mr. Floyd in Minneapolis and the black community that is there and throughout our country that has once again felt the, the horrendous ugliness of, a, of an unrighteous death. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the leadership of that state of Minnesota, for the leadership in the metropolitan areas around our country where, where struggles are going on right now. We pray for wisdom. We pray for gracious favor and that relations that have been once again disrupted, that the grace of your favor, Lord, where there is no male or female, no Jew, no Greek, no black, brown, yellow, or white, but people from every culture coming before you. May we be the ones that, that shine with your grace and ask for your mercy. We pray, Lord Jesus, for the impacts of this, this virus that is going around, not only in our country, but around the world, for those whose life and health have been impacted by it, we pray that you would give their lungs the, the, the healing and health they need to be able to breathe. We pray for, for those who have lost loved ones, that you comfort them with your spirit. For the food supply chain, for those who may have lost jobs and employment, we pray for your provision and that things would open up in your perfect time. We pray for your power of Pentecost to fall into our lives so that we may speak by your spirit and live by your spirit and others would be drawn to you. And as we look forward, Lord, to the time of coming again, together again, we pray for your patience, we pray for your wisdom, and for those who are there in leadership that we would follow the very best leadings of your Holy Spirit. We pray all of this, Lord Jesus, in your name, even as you've taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'd invite you now to open your hands, to open your hearts and receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God's blessings, dear friends. 
Our last two songs are a medley of This is Amazing Grace with I Know That My Redeemer Lives. This is Amazing Grace talks how God was so gracious to us that he was willing to come and die for us and how much that means for us. And I Know That My Redeemer Lives emphasizes um, he once was dead, but he lives my everlasting head. And that's, that's our, been our focus this morning. So let's sing. Love is mine. 